Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is powered by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Hey, Reef Builders, welcome to episode number 76 of the Reef Therapy Podcast. While Raj is on vacation in Belize, we figured we'd bring in this new guy who nobody knows. His name is Chris Meckley. Uh, today, we'll run through some reef therapy of our own, what's going on in our own reefing worlds. And in this episode, I really just want to nerd out about coral. It's been a while since we've had an episode that's dedicated to coral, and that's kind of why a lot of us are here. So we're going to dive into Chris's brain. Coral. Like that? I do too. Uh, first things first, what is everybody drinking tonight? We'll start with our guest tonight, Chris. What, what's in the uh, cup? Uh, Yingling Lager. It's my beer of choice. Always. Nice. nice. That East Coast Yingling. You know, they just came into the St. Louis market and all yes. the AB people are like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But like <laughs> everybody's drinking Yingling. It's pretty, it's pretty cool to see here in St. Louis. So. Yeah, awesome. It came across the Mississippi River for the first time, huh? Yeah, yeah. Good deal. They've they've had their rivalry with logos. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but Yingling's logo is very similar to AB's logo. So uh, go check that out when you get a chance. Yingling's uh, been around longer than any other one. So. Yep, yep, and that's the reason. <laughs> you stole our logo. Okay, cool. Uh, Mark, what do you got? Oh, man, I'm boring. Uh, I had... Heineken. Yeah, uh, but I'm I'm trying <laughs> what we used to call in college with great disappointment near beer because in Colorado it used to be maybe it's still true I don't know someone from Colorado can chime in if you bought beer at the grocery store it didn't have the full alcohol it's three two yeah this one's four percent it's Heineken Silver oh um, but That's a first I, I had two Sweetwater four twenties after my run in the. Uh, 104 heat index. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm feeling those beers or the the run heat. and the 104 heat index, but I, you know, I was like, ah, I better go with something lightweight. So yeah, <laughs> we've got heat too. It's uh, 105 tomorrow, Ugh. so we're in the heat dome. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it's I've hot down a, here all the time. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, um, got another Goose Island here. This neon Ooh. beer hug. It's an IPA, just straight up IPA. That's a cool uh, looking can. Yeah, it looks like you somebody know. at a reef show. You know, wearing like the orange glasses <laughs> yeah. to see all the glowing corals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just before we got on here, as we kind of move into the reef therapy session, um, just before we got on here, we've delayed tonight's podcast because Chris, you had a little issue tonight, and this is something that comes. This is something that happens to all of us, and it's happened to me this year, too. I was out of power for three days, but what just happened in your neck of the woods? Um, you know, it was really weird because um, Ann and I were staying behind and taking some photos, and um, it started downpouring, and it didn't really thunder. Actually, it thundered a little bit, but it wasn't horrible, and next thing you know, we're getting ready to pack up and go home, and the power goes out. So, of course, every time that happens, I'm uh, uh, either running to the farm to – ensure that everything's good to go and nothing's overflowing. So while I was there, I just quickly and calmly closed all the ball valves because um, we usually have a little bit of a flood. It's not horrible, but um, closing the ball valves helps because um, I don't care what anybody says. If you have a uh, check valve on your system, um, you can clean them every single week and they still fail. <laughs> yeah. And we even bought those ones that are the wise, they're schedule 80, like super, high you know 150 dollars a freaking <laughs> check valve and they still are a pain in the rear end hmm. so but everything was good it was only out for about an hour and 20 minutes and um didn't have to delay to this too bad 
No. Yeah. No. I. I. I would say the safety of of all the animals is paramount. Obviously. Always. Um, I was out for three and a half days. We've talked about this on the podcast a couple times, but had a generator that powered all the uh, all the fish tanks down here and our refrigerator. <laughs> so my wife was happy. Um, awesome. As as the coral and the fish are like, what's up? What's going on? <laughs> we're sweating our butts off in the house because we have no power. Um, yeah. any, anything else going on in your world that you want to that you want to vent about? Um. Yeah, we could vent about the industry, but that's not fun. <laughs> we do that every episode. <laughs> yeah. They said well, I, I'm too gloomy, so I, I... <laughs> you don't want to get me started. There's so many things I could just go off about right now. It's not even funny, but I might um, offend some people, so we should be quiet. <laughs> Mark, you want to go? Anything going on in your world? <laughs> you know, uh, what's that movie? How Stella got her groove back. Like, I'm trying to, you know. I recognize that I'm a little burnt out, and so I'm trying to figure out ways to get excited again about my tanks. Um, started off just like, well, I should just get on with like a big cleaning. So I did some, you know, a uh, succession of big water changes. Um, and then I went a little goofy with the basement tank because I just never liked the way it was aquascaped. And I have a bunch, I had a bunch of uh, Goniopera frags that were tiny, right? Because like frags are by definition tiny now, like they're <laughs> genet genetic samples. Yes. So I'd gotten all these genetic samples of uh, Goniopora, but they've actually gotten, well, the skeleton's now about as big as a golf ball, which, you know, when they're extended, they're, they're getting pretty big. And I'm like, this is starting to look a little crowded. And so just out of sheer boredom, I took like most of the rock out and I had little pieces of the uh, Julian's uh, stacks rocks, you know, those little flat pieces. Yeah. <laughs> and I created like various pillars and like put the different gonies on top of the different pillars. And, and then I put like the trackies all kind of, you know, on the bottom uh, it, like they were. So there's not really like a... There's not really a scape. It's just like these weird pillars with corals on top. <laughs> one's got a one's got a bubble, a splatter bubble, and and I'm kind of enjoying it. It's just like a, something that I imagine Jake would like enjoy, just because it's just a random bare bottom tank that's not trying to look all natural, and you know, it's like a some Let weird Art Deco tank now. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's I'm having fun with it because. Uh, I, that that tank's just doing really well, and you know, there's not a lot to do with it. But uh, it it got me excited to go check on the tank every time, like, oh, how things look, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, and then I was, man, I was like trigger finger ready to buy another tank and set it up as a turtle grass seagrass tank. And uh, I stopped myself because I don't have a budget for that right now. <laughs> I don't have the money to do that. What was it going right? to be? What was the tank going to be? I was looking at the um, water box has the clear minis, which are freshwater marketed for freshwater. Uh, and they were on sale this week, like not by a lot, but enough to get you thinking, right? And I was like, you <laughs> know. Just I was gonna grab one of those and stick a tonsy calm line skimmer in the corner and fill it up, you know, as not all the way, but somewhere and throw a bunch of um shit, it's gonna sound like a two little fishies plug. I've talked about stacks. Uh, <laughs> here we go with the reborn. 
<laughs> no, I was going to do the uh, Refugite media, which oh, I've okay. used before in uh, my refugiums, and I like it a lot. Uh, the only downer is it's magnetic. It's got uh, iron particles, so you got to be careful with your magnets. But I was going to do that in there, and um, yeah, just uh, found like somebody that was selling some turtle grass, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. <sighs> And then I went to bed and I woke up. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't, I don't have the money for this. Like that, you know, $500 on a tank. Then you need a, a top-off system. And my, that, that means I have to get a dosing pump because my RO is on a different floor. Uh, yeah, I started doing the math and I was like, no, uh-uh. Yeah, I got to stop. So. And, and more responsibility on top of everything else. It's just Yeah, yeah. It's like when you're kind of going through a, like trying to, I mean, it might have reignited the spark, you know, who knows? Yeah. So, uh, but because it's like, that's something that I've dabbled with. I've dabbled with uh, manatee grass, turtle grass, uh, but I've never done it, you know, in like a dedicated system. I just kind of like plop them into different tanks and stuff. So that'd be kind of fun. Um, maybe I'll do it uh, when the weather gets cold and it's rain. Georgia is like a dreary, cold, rainy winter kind of place. So yes. maybe I'll... Uh, yeah, something to do then. Of course, then they're probably not collecting turtle grass, and like I won't be able to get it. So, <laughs> do you want to tell the people what you texted me about last night? Oh, uh, yeah, that was the other. Uh, um, so I was thinking about dosing Fido in small doses on one of the tanks just for fun for a month, uh, and so I bought one of those little desktop fridges. Um, I think Devin from Reef Dudes, he had a video about doing like a frozen food feeder for a friend of his with with one of these type of fridges. And I think that's where I got the idea. And I started reading about Reef Nutrition's uh, Fido Feast Live. And they, you know, they had a little thing about like, hey, if you leave it on a countertop for like a day, it's okay. You know, just stick it back in the fridge and use it by the best by date. Because, I mean, Fido at room temperature, still okay probably. So that got me thinking, like, as long as the dosing line is kind of short, um, the Fido, and you're dosing, like, a little bit throughout the day, like, whatever's in the dosing pump is fine. Um, so I was going to mount a little dosing pump on top of one of those little desktop fridges, which I think uses, like, a Peltier cooler. Is that how you pronounce it? Those computer? Yeah. Because it's got a fan in the back. There's no refrigerant. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to build this thing. And then I, I had... Long story long, I'd put together a cabinet that matches my tank stand next to my tank where I could hide all my fish food and all that stuff. And I was like, well, why don't I just stick the fridge up there and stick the Fido Feast in the fridge? And then when I feed the fish, I can just open the little door and squeeze a little bit in and put it back in the little fridge. And that's probably five seconds versus like me engineering like, you know. <laughs> So, yeah. So I'm kind of like, do I want to go all in on this or do I just want to, you know, have a little fridge next to my tank where I just pull the Fido Feast out? And it's convenient because I'm already feeding the fish and I just drop a few squirts in there. But then the whole point was to dose it continuously, right? Yeah. So not because I'm trying to keep anything random alive or anything, but um, something Sanjay brought up on uh, social media a while back about certain um phytos being you know pretty enriching for corals and then you know it's just certain things have been rumbling around my brain i'm like oh it's kind of be fun to try i'm not a coral farmer like chris so like i'd love to hear what he thinks about uh phytoplankton and the impact on corals but um 
Yeah. We go through a lot of it. We yeah. go through a lot of phytoplankton. I think um, we we feed probably between all of our systems. I know I get every week, It's we get 10 gallons of phyto and we oh, get yeah. two and a half gallons of zooxanthellae. And that gets fed every week. And we it just gets dropped off live every Wednesday. As a matter of fact, we just re-upped on it today. And, you know, it's something I thought about doing exactly what you were saying, putting a small fridge, or fridge somewhere with a dosing pump and having a line come out of the refrigerator sealed up and everything so that we can just have it on a doser continuously. But I look at having five tanks <laughs> on a 4,000-gallon system I would be a royal pain in the rear end to be able to get that to dose properly. Um, yeah. And I'd have to have a little fridge at every single um, <laughs> tank, you know, at the dosing pump on every single fridge. And yeah, I don't think it would be something that would be feasible. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely crossed my mind for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we use the zooxanthellae to feed. That's actually how we um, we use that Captivate Aquaculture food. And it requires about 30 minutes to be um, – to get saturated. Mm-hmm. So we use the zooxanthellae to soak the um, captivate aquaculture food in. So we're feeding the corals uh, a dose of all of the planktons that are in that food as well as zooxanthellae. Huh. So what we found in the years past when we had corals that were stressed and bleaching for whatever reason, that when we fed the corals – with the phyto with the uh, zooxanthellae soaked food, um, it improved pretty much two three weeks. We started noticing major improvements. Where before it would take you know certain corals would take months and months to uh, to to get you know especially LPS corals. A lot of them when they bleach out, it takes them you know sometimes months to get their color back to them. But since we've been doing this, it's very rarely do we get bleaching events on any of the corals. Um, even wild stuff was the the main thing we had problems with, but because we feed so much of the phyto of the zooxanthellae and phytoplankton and other foods, I think that keeps the corals from um, actually fully bleaching and and becoming a problem. Um, but that's all kind of over the last two years we've learned learned that information, and um, I try to pass it on as much as I can. If you if you want to help a bleached coral out, soak your food in some zooxanthellae, which you can buy at. Um, Various places sell live uh, live zooxanthellae algae. Hmm. Yeah, I've seen that for uh, God. I forget the brand. Is it Aquaholics? Okay, yeah. She she Sam. She's right here in Plant City. She she farms it, and she told me that I'm the biggest uh, purchaser of it. But um, I said, don't stop producing it because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's a it's you know if you want me, I told her if I, she wanted me to write something up about what we've seen or just take the information I give her and make sure it gets added to it and plug me and my company and you know people want to ask about it. I'm happy to talk about it because um, it saves corals' lives. It's it's what it's all about, right? Yeah, corals. It's all about the corals. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, if, I'll I'll put the uh, information in the uh, description below for that. If you yeah, for sure. Obviously you can bend Chris's ear if you want to learn more about that. Um, did you have anything else, Mark, that you wanted to talk about? Mm, i trying to think. Uh, no, I pretty boring. That's, that's, that's exciting <laughs> for I, me. That, that, no, that's a lot of stuff. And, yeah. Normally stuff. I'm on here. Yeah. Like, thanks are going great. Well, <laughs> and, 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 and we're, before we hear what you have to say, Remy, I did think of something. I had such a weird day today, 
Um, today is like kind of a um, really exciting day for us because everybody's heard us talk about oxalic acid. And I keep telling people I don't really want to give out all the information because we don't have any real data. Like we don't have all the data we want on it. So we did this six week experiment for, I guess that was about a month and a half ago. It ended, but we finally got together with the uh, University of Florida and my vet, Roy Yanong, and we put all of the samples that we collected from the elegance coral experiment that we did. We got eight elegance corals in, we put four in a control and four in a, an experimental tank. And when the one tank got um, the elegance coral syndrome, we started treating that tank as the experiment and the other one just left it alone. And uh, it was really interesting to see what we got. And we took tissue samples. We were cutting tentacles off of elegance corals every day. Um, so we had hundreds and hundreds of samples of tissues before, during, and after the oxalinic acid treatments. So this should hopefully give us some real concrete data so that we can put together a good regimen for using oxalinic acid to keep Indonesian elegance corals alive and not watch them wither away and die. And we've seen many a times where we've saved them. We still don't win them all. You know, there's battles to be played every time we get an import. And um, sometimes they're too far gone when we get them and we just can't bring them back. But the ones that are just, just starting to notice the symptoms we can usually bring them back 100% within, you know, a seven to 10 day period of time where they're perfectly healthy and happy to sell. Um, we just had a whole batch of like 15 of them that have been like flawless for a month or two. And they sold like, and that's what people want to hear. You know, everybody's afraid of an Indonesian elegance coral and people that know what we're doing with them. They're not afraid to buy them because they live. That's not cool. saying it's not going to happen down the road in their system. You know, it's not foolproof. You know, I mean, right. it, we, we do what we can, but after it leaves our facility, we don't know whether or not that same bacteria or whatever it is. And that's what we're hoping to find out here when we get all this information back. Um, we're working, we worked with um, Roy Anong at the University of Florida, the aquaculture lab, and he got in contact with um, Greg at the Shed Aquarium and got us in, t in with their. Um, pathology department and these samples were collected and the experiment was done with a, um, a vet intern. Uh, it was this final project for his graduation, um, doing it at our facility, which was pretty cool. And, um, so he got to, to do his final project at our facility. We got to get some data and all of the samples that we need to get real data on possibly what bacteria is causing it and how, we can make sure it's something that every hobbyist, when they see it, can take care of it and they don't have to worry about losing their elegance corals anymore. That's huge. So that's super exciting. Yeah. Uh, Long time quick, coming. Quick note here. Um, I'm here in your hands. Mine? Like when, you, when, you, when you touch the desk, all that comes through <laughs> the microphone. So just. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I just wanted uh, <laughs> to nip that in the bud now. Um, no problem. All right. We'll resume here. I remember last time we talked to you, you were telling us about that that study. So it's concluded and you guys are kind of just like doing all the results Waiting. and gathering everything right now. We're talking about months for them to get all these samples tested and analyzed. Um, you know, I respect science. I just wish it would move a little bit faster because, <laughs> you know, this is uh, something that's really hard for me 
all the work that we do, we very rarely get credit for the stuff that we've come up with that we know is, is going to work for hobbyists, farmers, whoever, but without the credentials, I guess, um, you know, that makes it a little difficult. So partnering up with the aquaculture lab was a huge thing for us, which will help get what we do as a whole with more credibility because, um, you know, we do things because it's off of our own, off out of our own pocket, you know, and, um, science <laughs> gets grants and they don't have the overhead like we do. So we get to do a lot of things. We have to figure things out fast because if we don't, we're losing more revenue and you know, it's just, it just makes things even more difficult. So the nice thing about what we can, what we do is we're going to get it verified finally. And, um, I can't wait to hear what they come up with so that, uh, and maybe it'll come up with nothing, <laughs> but, um, hopefully we get a good answer and we can fix problems because it's not just elegance corals that we can fix. It's a lot of other corals just with the oxalic acid treatments, you know, it's, um, torch corals, it's acroporas, um, you name it. I mean, my cat, she does this every time I get on a video here, Willow, say hi. Tail's <laughs> She's like, <hitting> the microphone. <laughs> But correct me if I'm wrong. The other great thing too is, you know, there's all this concern about antibiotic resistance and, yes. you know, we should be careful with uh, tinkering with antibiotics, but that's less of a concern with oxalinic acid, right? Because it's something that's, it's it's been out there a while kind of thing. It's not like, a, and it's, you know, there's less of a concern of us, you know, suddenly being the 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 precursor to some antibiotic resistance and all that fun stuff, right? Or am I getting yes. that wrong? No, you're 100 percent correct. You know, I mean, I, this is one of the things I, I I'm afraid of with um, people getting to know about antibiotics and and what to do with their, you know, how to treat a system. You know, we use them primarily as a bath for yeah. our corals, and um, that's what I am an advocate for is a bath for your corals. But there is instances like ours where we're importing corals and we have to understand that every time we import corals, if, if we, we cannot do preventative maintenance baths on every single coral that comes into this, into the facility yeah. because it's too stressful on them. And a lot of people don't understand this, but we used to dip everything upon arrival and we lost more corals doing that than when we would put them in our systems and then find the problem children and target them directly and not worry about targeting the other stuff. Because when they come in after being in the box for 48 hours and then you put them through some stress of an antibiotic or of uh, some crazy dip that stresses them out even more, that's when you know the problems happen. So we tank the corals first then we assess the situation and if there's any problem corals, we put them through the antibiotic bath and that helps us save a ton of corals. I mean, I, I wish that everybody did that kind of thing, but of course, a lot of people don't have the right data. And unfortunately, there's a lot of information going on around, going around about Cipro. And personally, I think Cipro is the, it's ludicrous to use Cipro. Right. I mean, you know, I had to, I, I will never use Cipro in my aquarium. It would always be, you know, as a bath and I've never used it as a bath. Um, because when my daughter was a year and a half old, I had to sign a paper so that they could administer IV drip of Cipro to her. And I asked them why. And they said, this is a pretty aggressive antibiotic. And right. I said, anybody that has to sign a paper for their one and a half year old daughter to take it, I shouldn't be putting this in my aquarium because I don't know what it's going to do. It's a really, really harsh antibiotic. Um, 
Fortunately, it does get broken down with UV light, but it's a lot slower breakdown than what um, oxalic acid is. So, and disposal of the antibiotics is the biggest issue that I have because people that are going to be using these things, if they're not going to be bleaching the water before they dump it down the drain or dump it out, you know, wherever they dump it, you know, all they're doing is introducing an antibiotic into the, into the, into the environment. And if it just seeps into the ground, well, there's no light hitting it. So it's not breaking it down. And what is it doing to the ecosystem right there? And, you know, our biggest problem that I think is in this world is going to be the antibiotic use and killing our waterways and the microbiome of the waterways, which is going to be the downfall to us fleas on this planet. (laughs) Oxalinic is heavily used in like the koi industry, right? It is. Is Very true. That's the one I'm thinking of. I was trying to Google, but I'm too slow to keep up. (laughs) There's some products out there right now, right? Oh, yeah. There's tons of it. I mean, you can get it. It's a very common koi treatment. Um, You know, you can get it at any any. Anybody that sells koi online, that's uh, especially farmers and stuff like that, they're going to have uh, an option yeah. for people to get oxalic acid to treat their koi ponds because it's uh, it's used. And it's, um again, after about 24 hours of hitting having UV hitting it, it's going to be pretty much broken down and inert. But if it seeps into the ground somewhere, it's still active yeah. for how long? You know, nobody knows exactly how long the damage is going to be done and you know, do you, do we really want to find out what happens? Oh, it's just a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, to me, that's just not very smart. <laughs> yeah. Something, something to think about for sure. So bottom line with antibiotic use, um, when we get real concrete evidence, I'm going to recommend treatments for dips and baths and last resort would be a full system treatment, which we have done um, with, no ill effects. And I think Jake Adams, you know, our buddy, you know, he's the one that told me, don't do it. Let me do my system first. You got 2000 gallons. I got 200 gallons. He's like, I'll do it. He's like, let's come up with a plan on how we're going to do this. And we came to an agreement together back and forth, back and forth. And he's like, okay, I'm doing it. And here we are today. It's the reason why I have a treatment for my full system is because uh, Jake was the Guinea pig and he had great results. And God, I miss the man so much. I mean, there's many days go by where I wish I could sit there and talk with him about some of the new things we've found out and come up with. And he'd be so stoked about this project. And uh, I know he's looking down with a big fat smile on his face. Go, keep going, Meckley. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. He would, he would have been so stoked about the study that you're doing. So. Yeah. Got to keep, keep trudging on and keep doing the fighting the good fight. I like that there's coral farms, uh, like TSA is also working with, I don't know which university it is, but they're talking about, um, like when grafted corals, um, come together. University of Florida. Together. Yeah. If there's any DNA changes, you know, they're mm-hmm. at least Kevin said that they're working with, uh, they are about that. So. I, I pulled really myself cool. from, I pulled myself from one of the projects because the final study was just. I think you called that healthy corals. Please take my name off of this. (laughs) But, you know, that was the first time they were working on anything. But, you know, the genetic part of it, that's easy. You know, they can put it into a um, uh, a special formaldehyde that uh, Professor John, who's also working with Kevin at um, UF, um, gave me this formaldehyde to put any samples I wanted him to genetically test or to um, do pathology on or whatnot. So I've got tons of um, lab-grade – preservative for say that doesn't break down <laughs> dna which is cool that is cool that is cool yeah i love that you guys are doing that i mean you guys have 
coral farmers have the biggest sample size of anybody. I mean, the hobbyists can contribute here and there, but I think that you guys working with universities is, you know, is the quickest way to further anything in this hobby. So hundred percent kudos to you guys for doing that. Um, on my side of things, I've got this new tank finally up on the stand. You can see it back there. Nice. uh, Got a red C six twenty five. that going in sump is in, uh, I got the reef mat installed. So last step before like a, a, a leak test, I'm going to throw the hose down here and, you know, through this window and fill it up with some tap water and, and see where we're going. I got to say, uh, th- we got to do something about this stand building process. Cause, oh my gosh, <laughs> it is, <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of time. Period, <laughs> so like I've had to stretch this, st- this tank build, this the stand build for probably a week and a half now. It just takes so long. Um, yeah. But I'm excited. and get a, get a new tank down here, get a new story going. Um, I did add, so Chris, I took all the, the coral out of my frag tank. It's in a tub right here. It's in a what I'm calling my Jake tub because it's exactly the <laughs> one that he set up for that cube that he transferred. Um, but I definitely, I added a skimmer, and I think it's about time for a water change already. I don't know. It's funny because you come down here and it's not like the stand that I had before was doing anything because it was open, but there's just a little, little different flavor smell down here these days. And I don't know if it's like the interaction between the Rubbermaid and the saltwater, or if it's just, you know, I know I just have a pond, so it's going to funk up like that. So, um, but yeah. What's your humidity like? Has your humidity shot up with that pond in your basement? (laughs) (laughs) think so i mean honestly the surface area like what's exposed to the air isn't really much different than uh, okay it was before um i don't know i don't think the humidity is any different down here i don't have a exact reading on that but the basement's usually pretty dry um, it's funny because you um you showed a clip of that tank that he where the stand the acrylic stand broke and yes. he, you know and it brought me back to being there a little while after all that and uh we went out i think grabbed some beers and some food and then we went full office space on the stand like you ever see that scene where they're like beating up the printer in the field (laughs) 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 we we kicked the hell out of that thing because he had to break it down i think for the trash company or something so we were just like (laughs) you know I can just see two. I just two happened dudes to be in town. There. Yeah, just, just the people at the uh, brewery next door were like, "What the hell's going on?" Um, Crazy but. stuff supposed to be happening here. This is the brewery. What are they doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, um, I basically just went. I, I, you know, f- having not done a tub before, um, and I say this in the video. I feel like Jake really laid out a roadmap for a lot of the situations that the hobbyists will find themselves in as they progress. So I kind of just, you know, mimicked what he had. It's been working great so far. Like I said, just probably needs a water change here coming up. Uh, one of the toadstools decided to be a jerk, and I don't know what happened. It got a little brown spot on the crown, and then it just kind of spread, and now I'm just on watch to see what's going to happen. But I don't know if it was just stress of the move or a lighting change or maybe a salinity change. I is don't it know. shedding or I mean, it's no, a it's, this is a, this is, a, it's not like that. You know how, when it does shed, it glistens in the yes. light. Yeah. Um, this is, this looks more like infection kind of thing. So 
Spray it with a turkey baster. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get it spray off of it there. With a yeah. Spray it with a turkey baster, see what happens. And then if that doesn't get rid of it, yeah, like like Mark said, um, iodine is my go-to dip for anything, especially soft corals. Yeah, Because corals. they love iodine. Yep. And that will, I mean, heck, you could even take a drop of Lugol's and drop it on those spots. <laughs> if there's an infection there, it ain't going to hurt it. The coral will absorb it, you know, because yeah. if you're deficient in iodine in your system, it's like you and me. If you're ever playing with true Lugol solution, there's you no know, iodine. You get your hand, it turns all yellow, and you look at it an hour later, and you say, what happened to all my, my hand? It, your body absorbed it because you were low on iodine. <laughs> <laughs> so the coral just absorb it too. It's the same, same deal. Yeah. It's a halogen. It's... um. You know, it'll, it, it, it likes to, likes to go places. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the only casualty. There was a, a Duncan that got stung by one of my Galaxia, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of stuff a bunch of coral and spots that they weren't typically in, in the tank. And those sweepers just go out and I don't know if I just, you know, didn't see it or whatever, but, uh, you know, in the stress of moving everything, it just, it's, you know, stuff like that happens. So. I'll give you guys a pointer on putting a galaxia in an aquarium. You have to make sure that you know your flow. Yeah. That means yeah. that means <laughs> that means you drop in some food and you just watch it. And wherever the slowest flow area is in your aquarium or where they all kind of meet, and it's kind of just like you see this swirling area so much right in the general area. Put your galaxia right there because then it can't send sweepers over here and over there. Yeah. I, I don't know if I told you guys this story, but I had a customer of mine that was pulling his hair out. He had a half moon tank and he had a galaxia in there <laughs> and he didn't think anything of this, but he kept putting a coral on the opposite side. He had that return line, say half moon shape. And return line over here on this side and a piece of coral always over on this side was always dying. No matter what he put there, it was dead within a week. And he's pulling his hair out. And I come up, he goes, you got to come to my shop and check it out. So I took the two and a half hour drive to Gainesville to check this guy's shop out. I wanted to check it out anyhow. So <laughs> I get there and I'm looking around. I'm like, where's the corals always die? He showed me. I'm like, move that galaxia. Shut up. I said, move the galaxia right here in the middle. You'll never lose another coral in any spots. I don't know. No way. He's flipping out on me. I'm like, just do it. Moves the coral down. Cussed me out up and down in a good way. <laughs> I can't believe it. You took five minutes to figure out the problem with this tank and I killed 10 corals in the meantime. So it's always figure out where your lowest flow area is, not where your most intense flow area is. And you won't have to worry about Galaxia really sending the sweepers out that can whack everything around it. Yeah. Um, they're awesome corals and people are afraid of them. They just don't know how to take care of them properly. And that's one tip I can give people to take care of Galaxias so they don't whack your other corals. It's not guaranteed. <laughs> they'll, they'll go the other way. <laughs> uh, that You mentioned last time about the uh, branching galaxia. How's that doing for you? It's doing exceptionally well. Um, we finally see polyp extension, but it is not polyp extension like you would think on um, on a galaxia. It's You have to get really close to the coral, and you can see that the coralite is actually inflated because um, it looks – they're so beautiful. Um, the color has gotten so intense. The body has turned this deep, like, uh, like concord grape purple. Wow. With 
just the most fluorescent neon green coral lights and polyps. And then the very dead center of the polyps are like a star of yellow. It's just, <laughs> it's a so, turtle though. So, all right. This is a good question then for me uh, to ask. Now that you've got this treatment figured out, do you think that that might help us? Because Australia gyra, like I, I've tried twice. I couldn't keep that coral alive. And I just, you know, I don't know if they're bad shippers, right? Wilson I? Astrology here Wilson I, correct? The the branching favite looking thing that's doo doo brown and nobody would ever want. I got you. I got you. Yeah. I know uh, exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's it nobody brings that in and it you know, I got lucky twice where uh, you know, I just happened to stumble upon it, but both times no growth, just zeroed out and eventually receded and died and that was olden days halides like old school tanks right we all thought deep sand beds were cool um that's a core i'd love to figure out like what's the story on that but and then you're talking about this treatment with um uh, elegance corals coming out of indonesia and stuff and i'm just curious because like that just i'm guessing it's just a bad shipper i mean they come in pretty damaged but then when i look at like the morphology of you take like a space invader pectinia right similar kind of thing where like you know they could get bounced around in the bag and like their skeletons poking through the tissue and they're just kind of a train wreck when they first arrive they do um have you a have you tinkered with that coral at all recently and uh, i have not i haven't I mean, been there's no market I, for it right it's not a pretty maybe maybe under you know i never put one of those under day glow blue leds like maybe it's like a pop in green orange thing now you know i I got some i don't know years ago i think jake commented on it because i wasn't even sure what it was yeah and i thought it's what it was and he confirmed it for me and i lost mine too but i only had a small piece of it yeah um now there is favites complanta which is branching favitas branching favites and it is um I've been farming it now for a long time, but unfortunately I can't get the daggone thing to start shooting columns up and branching out like it's supposed to because I'm making fragments of it. And what I really need to do is just let it grow and get as big as it has to and let it start shooting all of its branches up because it's an absolutely stunning coral when it's, um, when I got it in, we got them in from the Northern Australia uh, probably five years ago and Jake had gotten some from me but I didn't see any of it out there when I was um, at the studio um, helping out, clean it up. And, uh, but I, I forgot I even had it because you're so used to seeing, you know, pictures of it and it's like a branching favites. I mean, it looks like favites. It just branches. It's got um, kind of like a, uh, yeah, like an astrologyra or like, um, uh, what do you say? The Pachycerus ragusa. Yeah. It grows kind of like that, um, but everything I have is – I even have a tile that's probably three to – it's probably a four-inch tile completely covered. And I'm thinking, okay, it's, it's big enough. Is it going to start to shoot those branches up? Am I going to start seeing this thing come into its full beauty? And is it going to take five years for me to market a coral? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because people are going to get it and they're going to be like, what is this? Yeah. Well, you got to let it grow for five years before it branches. <laughs> <laughs> 
I will say, I feel like it's it's what you want the Favites to do. You know, I don't know. A lot yeah. of them are the dome or the flattened shape or, you know, the encrust or whatever. But, like, this is, I'm looking at a photo of it right now. It's Which really one? cool. The, uh, it is. The branching Favites. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, I, it's, looks as this looks similar to the Australian gyro, uh, but yes. just has the has those like you know the polyps. It's it's the, really cool. Defined correlates, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Austral- I was just curious. Yeah, you know, it's um, I'd I'd love to have some Australian gyra. You know, just I, I want to acquire everything weird and un um unwanted in this hobby so that at least somebody's got it in their possession for when we can't bring in corals anymore <laughs> you know yeah i mean if we're if the day comes where it's all aquaculture you know it'd be kind of cool like then i think some of these weirdos corals that may not be popping like a black light poster right like some of these yeah. are gonna really <laughs> just be i mean you see that with like um I don't know. You see that in the orchid hobby, right? Like you see that they get excited about certain things that maybe are not the most colorful, but it's like, yeah, but there's only like a few of these around, you know, and yeah. and you feel like you're a custodian and that's kind of a fun place to be. Like I worked, uh, I did research for a professor uh, when, back when I wanted to be a biologist at university and he was breeding um, all these extinct live bears, right, that are they're completely extinct in the wild and they're just breeding like rabbits in a basement in Colorado. Gadids and uh, I forget what the other one was. And they're not very pretty, but like you can kind of, you I could I could appreciate the pride of being like a custodian of something that's you know one extinct, but I mean just, you know, it's it's not it's not a hot flavor, but it's just like, oh, like this thing is special for different reasons. So but I failed. So first frag I actually got from Jake back in the Solomon Island shipment days. And um, that's when I first met him. Like he sent me home with a bunch of uh, frags and like a stick of super glue and was like, good luck. Um, <laughs> and, like Jake. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so weird that uh, I was like, because I was like, you know, kind of new to SBS. This was like 1998, maybe. And he's like, no, you just, you know, you take the thing, you glue it on the rock with a super glue, and you're good. And I was like, what? You know, it just seems so foreign to me, right? Like, um, I was doing, I had a bunch of LPS and Gorgonians and stuff. And it's so weird to me that, like, one of the corals he sent me home with was this completely weird Australogyra. <laughs> and he remembers giving it to me, too. And then that store, Reefer Madness. They brought yes. in a colony once, reefermadness.us or whatever. And like, yes. I was just, I saw it on the website, like what, in 04, 05 or something. I was like, bye, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they they brought in weird stuff. Like I, I got a halomitra from them. Yep. Um, where the hell were they getting their corals? I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, Reefer Madness was getting all their corals from um, Walt Smith. Was that Walt Smith, Fiji? Yeah, that was, okay. Jeff, Turn- that was Jeff Turnier. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. They brought yep. in some weird stuff sometimes. It was that was a fun sight to hit. But um anyway, it's just like I now I have a nostalgia for this random coral I couldn't keep alive. I'll probably fail a third time if I ever get some, but <laughs> <laughs> No, um, don't say that. Husbandry text or tactics have gotten much better. Well and the treatments, you know, right? Especially if it's coming in all beat up and stuff, if you can at least give it a fighting chance against any of those bacteria, then you're just you know You gotta you gotta think too about the um 
you know, I don't know how many other suppliers do what my suppliers do, but I've, I've really helped them tweak how they pack and ship corals. And the fact that, you know, if you think about this, and this is something that I've, I've been really stewing around with my head as to why did things change so much when Indonesia was shut down for two years? Why all of a sudden were the corals arriving after it opened back up in such better shape? And I know why it is with my supply line. I don't know about other suppliers and how they ship, but I know my suppliers, they're geeks just like me, just like Jake was just, you know, they love the corals. So they continue to hold and maintain and keep all of these corals that they had from the time the coral band started till after the band was over. And then when they were getting new corals in, they, they learned so much in that two year period on how to take care of these animals, because normally they were just getting them in and getting them out even though they took really good care of their systems, I think this just opened their eyes to possibilities as to what happens to corals after they leave. And I know they don't want to see their corals that they ship overseas die. So their husbandry practices had gotten so much better. And that has helped more corals live, at least on my side of it, because we went from like a 5% DOA down to a lot of times two or three dead corals out of six, 700, a thousand corals on a shipment. And that was unheard of in the past. And do they pack them a little bit heavier? Just a little bit. But that extra cost in freight ensures a live animal. And I just can't wrap my head around trying to go back to the old ways of packing when this method's working so well, especially since the corals are healthier. Yeah. We're getting such a better product and we're able to, you know, make sure that we hold it for a week or two and the corals have a fighting chance to survive and not a 50 50 chance when you break it all down. Cause sometimes I feel that's what the st- statistics are on trans shipping because they're not being taken care of properly. And seeing, I know that the endo band sucked for a lot of people, but <laughs> yeah. seeing the racks as full as they were, you know, you'd see those pictures of the maricultured, uh, you know, Acropora, it's just it torch corals, everything. Yeah. It was crazy to see, that many on a rack and all just huge colonies. It was, it was really awesome. It it was, I mean, you know, it was good to see that people were doing it the right way. And there's really only a handful of people that were doing it the correct way. Cause all the guys that were smaller, they went back to their old tactics immediately when the band and they figured out all the loopholes on how to do it. I mean, anybody that knows what Americulture Coral is, if you come in and you get Americulture Coral offered to you and it's a tabling acro and it's growing like this, I'm sorry. It's not Maricultured. It is a wild piece. They cut off, they stuck it onto a plug and let it sit there for a few weeks, month, and then they ship it out as Americultured Coral. A true tabling acro if it was mariculture would be a little fragment stuck on a plug and it would actually start tabling. And we used to get these perfect little tables and there's only one guy I know to get them from. And that's Vincent Chalice is the only person I can get perfectly little growing tabling acros because he maricultures them properly. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's corals for you, man. The industry's, uh, it's uh, frustrating. It's interesting. And, uh, we got about a year and a half left of being able to get these things in. no, about two years left for wild Indonesian corals, and then it'll all be mariculture. So that does lead me into my my initial question for you, which what does the future of import and this hobby look like? I mean, we're, are we looking at 
less than 10 years? Are we looking at less than five years before this is all aquacultured within, you know, the hobby and our coral farms that we have? Uh, what do you think well, on that? You know, we've been talking about this a lot. My, my, myself, my wife, um, you know, my colleagues around the world, my friends that are, that are, you know, we get our corals from, you know, we've got, um, inner fish, which is the leader in the world right now in spawning they corals. They spawn the, uh, Goniopras, right? Goniopras. Like recent coral uh, magazine yep. article. Yeah. They, they, and we knew about the Goniopras cause I was getting photos of them when they saw it. They're like, what is this? I'm like, it's an alveopora. Wait a minute. It's red. It's a Goni, but it only has 12 tentacles. And it was just one polyp sticking up on this baby. And they kept shooting me photos. It went from what, 12 to 16. Yeah. And then, then it went to the 24 tentacles. Actually, no, I think it went 12, 16, then it went 18, then to 24. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's all in the article, but, um, which we, was really they, awesome by the way. It was, it was I know, a right? really cool article. You know, they just gave me updated photos and they have these ones that are all splicey. They're red and green. Then there's some that are red and green and gold, you know, and it's like half the polyp is green, half the polyp is red, half the center is red, half the center is green or yellow or gold or whatever. It's just really interesting. It's going to be cool to see what happens. They got thousands of babies, um, just like they got thousands of scolies, but I think they've got 12 species spawned and settled and grown out. And there's no other institution in the world that has that many species under their belt. And it's, uh, I've been right there with them the whole way through it. You know, they, Don, the owner is like, he's old enough to be my father. He's like my best friend. And, uh, he always getting excited. He's like, I got to call Chris. He calls me up and we talk for two hours about corals and, you know, it's, uh, awesome what he's been able to do. Um, I, I can't wait to, to learn more from him because ultimately, um, back to your question, Remy. Um, we have till 2024 for wild Indo Indonesian corals to be legally exported. Um, mariculture is going to continue. So all of the species that we know are not able to be maricultured will no longer be seen in the industry. You will no longer see acanthophilias. You will not see um, terracophilias, cinerinas, endophilias, um, uh, honestly, I think it's going to be a far-fetched thing for them to mariculture blastos properly because they just don't grow fast enough. Um, is it going to be viable? Is the cost going to be there? Is, are people going to pay $1,000 for a polyp of a blasto? Because by the time they get all their time and effort in farming it to get polyps out of them, you know, what are they going to do? Are they going to get wild pieces in and glue them down and act like they're maricultured? Who knows? I, we'll, we'll see what the industry does. Um, I hope that's not the case. But the future of the industry is 100% in um, institutions or companies and businesses like Interfish, you know, that are, and, and Jamie Craig's, and, you know, even Richard Ross has spawned corals. And there's other people in this country. Heck, I've spawned corals. I've got baby torch corals in my system. I have no idea when they did it. I'm guessing it was in February because that's usually when the time they do it. But they, I didn't even see the baby torches until two months ago, maybe three months ago. And they were like the size of my pinky, just this little gold torch coral going, where did you come from? Where did you come from? You know, it's like, okay, now I know what the time of year when it's going to happen. Now I got to start watching the corals and making sure I am visually looking at them so I can see the torches with the, because they're brooders. I don't know if people know that. They don't sexually spawn like um, broadcast spawn like um, other corals do. 
they capture sperm from another and then they brood the um, the gametes in their tissue. And once once they're larva, then they expel them, which is what they how they spawn. And um, those larvae are capable of settling immediately. They don't have to go through the gamete stage and that whole, okay, we're going to settle. They just automatically come out and they settle. So it's probably the easiest of all of the stony corals that I've heard of to, to spawn because you really, it's such a visual look. You just need to look at the corals when they're open and you can see them in the tentacles. We've, we've had hammer corals do the same thing where we saw the eggs going in the, in the uh, tentacles. And then that night they're spewing eggs and sperm bundles throughout the tank. And we're like, Oh, we don't have anything to catch them. <laughs> so that was our first experience. That was probably five years ago. And, you know, we've been visually looking for that stuff again, but um, they seem to just do it when we don't even recognize or realize it's happening. But when you have two, three, 400 polyps of torch coral to look at, and maybe not all of them are doing it because maybe it was just the Australians. Maybe it was the Indonesians as well. I don't know. You know, it's just not enough there for me. And um, that's the fun part about uh, keeping me super excited about what I do is being able to learn new things and getting information, shared information from people that have had the experience already. And if without that shared information, I don't think there's going to be enough uh, data for people to really get it going unless people start sharing it because it's not an easy task. And Don and Interfish didn't just, figure it out. He had six years of trying and trying and trying and, and now figured out what he has to do every time he has a spawn or he knows a spawning event's going to come. They take the uh, adults and they put them into a bucket with an air stone and they sit that right down inside the aquarium and they go home for the night. They come back the next day and the, all of the sperm bundles and eggs are at the surface. They take cups and scoop them out, put them into a something to keep them churning. Once they hatch and their gametes. Then they wait till they become a larva. Then they put them into a settling tank. And that's the key. Um, science told him that you had to have coralline encrusted tiles or they would not settle and they would die. Well, he got coralline encrusted tiles all ready to go and put them in there. Well, what science didn't realize was the coralline algae grows faster than the baby coral. And every single baby settled but they all got overcome and taken over by coralline algae and killed. So he had zero of the first time he had settlement. So now they use just bare, fresh ceramic tiles with no algae growing on them. And they can actually see where the settlement is. And it's not impossible to figure out the coralline algae and the little speck that's on it. That's an actual coral larva that's growing into a mini colony eventually. So there's a lot of really cool information. I can't wait. It's super exciting. Coral spawning is definitely on the top of my list, but it's not cheap. And my coral farm's not producing enough for me to invest any more money in another new project at this point in time. So um, when the farm produces enough and I start making money off of it, maybe I'll start investing some extra cash into a coral spawning lab. Yeah, but, um, that'd be awesome. That I, recently, I recently saw a... Uh, not to cut you off, but I recently saw there was a shop. Oh, man, I forget what the name of it was. But very similar to the uh, uh, the Ganiapora article. Um, and there's just, like, all these torches everywhere all over this tank. And they're all different colors. Like, it's 
there I don't think there's a green one or you know your uh, regular common one in the mix. They're gold and like orange and gold and green and gold and all these different colors and it was just so cool to see and the uh the owner I reached out to him and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's that's really cool to see." He's like, "Yeah, I stopped uh, stopped counting at 200 of these." <laughs> and I don't know. It looked like they all you know had gotten past the hard part at least in my mind of their life. Uh, and had all maybe six to seven, you know, um, tentacles out. And I don't know. It was just really cool to see. So I, I, I think is. that maybe if maybe maybe that's a, a, the typical thing with coral farms is, you know, not having a lot of extra money to do that. Maybe that does rely on the hobbyist to kind of figure out what's the what's the way to do this? How can we how can we? hobbify this i guess you could say <laughs> you know make it make it a, a, a more um cookie cutter type design so that we can continue to the spawning within the hobby at the hobbyist level uh, i don't know if that really makes it better or worse for coral farms as far as like a financially but um i don't know i just i i've always been fascinated by that it's on my list of things to do for you know this year is to start that project in some regard because i think that that'd be really fun to to go through and really well, cool video series, honestly. It's it's you know like you brought up about the coral analogy. Like I think in a way for a lot of this, it'd be cool if the hobbyist figures out or helps figure out like the gotchas and the the, the stumbling blocks, you know. And then yep. and then the people that are in the business of growing or farming corals, they can scale, you know, scale with those ideas too, you know. Yep. Um. So yeah, I, yeah, I see your I. I it's a good point, right? I mean, well, you know, what Richard's doing, I think, for example, could, you know, like he's going to even his little comment about like getting like little baby uh tuxedo urchins and, you know, that yep. that aren't going to damage the corals, for example, right? Um stuff like that is like, oh, well that's interesting, you know. Um but somebody who's trying to do it at a large scale mistakes are expensive right if you're trying to <laughs> right but a hobby is like well that sucked all right let's try again next year you know <laughs> i mean you know we, we we we've been you know we have all this this big system that we just put in you know every three years in august when we started working on it and for two and a half years with the chillers running, we didn't realize that one of our chiller barrels was leaking um, i saw your facebook post about uh, that <laughs> You know, it was my reward from going on vacation. You know, I, I come back to my manager telling me, but I would have never known if my AC guys wouldn't have injected the, the unit with dye that's very, very fluorescent underneath UV. And Daniel and actually nobody would have noticed the the thin little oil slick that's been going on top of the aquariums for – we always noticed this oil slick when um, we fed during slack tide, which is every Tuesday – because we would put in mysis shrimp and stuff and we'd see this oil slick on the surface. That's common if you don't rinse your mysis shrimp and anybody rinses their mysis shrimp, don't do it. You're just rinsing away all the good stuff. You want that in your aquarium. <laughs> don't rinse your mysis shrimp, especially the PE. Um, but I, that oil slick that goes on the surface, we never noticed it that bad. And Daniel called me on Monday and said he had to put some Freon in the, in the AC unit and um, then two days later, it was a uh, fluorescent glow on the surface of the water. And I'm like, there's our leak. It's inside the chiller barrel. So, Ugh. yeah. Well, 
I've been having problems with that coral system for uh, since it's been set up. And now I'm starting to re-guess some of my other theories, but I'm actually thinking it probably wasn't as big of a problem with that Freon leak as what I'm making it out to be. But I do think it, it did affect certain corals. But um, yeah, part of the coral farming. You know, now I'm at the mercy of uh, getting a new chiller barrel and I got one and now I'm questioning whether it's even the right size because it's like half the size of the one that's like half the size. <laughs> you know, I have, I have a, I have one that's three tons and this barrel is like twice as big as this five ton barrel that I got. And I'm going, Hmm. <laughs> but then, uh, after looking at it and talking to people, they're like, no, 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 you're probably fine. It's got a uh, new, uh, new type of coil that's kind of braided. So it's a lot more surface area. And um, they can make them a lot smaller, so they're a lot more efficient. And it means I have to run less water, so I don't have to upgrade my pump, which is a good thing. But, um, yeah, we had to put the, those things called oil pigs. They use them in, like, uh, oil spills on, like, the ocean. And it sucks up oil but doesn't suck up water. Hmm. And I put yeah, – I went a little overkill. I think I put eight of them on my tank, and I could have <laughs> probably used one. <laughs> uh, but uh, – yeah, there's only one left on there. I left it on just because um, we have a rock wall and I was afraid maybe just some, some would continue to sleek out. But the corals, I have some weird irregular growth on some acros and I had some um, torches that were getting some weird irregular growth and they were all aquacultured. And um, I'm hoping that that was what the cause of it was. It's hydrofluorocarbons and it takes a good bit of time for them to break down. So... I'm thinking that when we started seeing these weird issues, from what I'm told, it's about a year to year and a half for that to break down, but it goes to be, it becomes a gas. So it shouldn't even be in the system, but we don't know how it interacted with all the elements that are in the system and whether it did cause some and, and form another compound. We don't know. And with ICP, we don't test compounds. We test elements and my fluorine level. Um, the last test was uh, in the right range but it was actually higher than what it should be for the amount that I dose on a daily basis. So I'm thinking maybe that was helping to elevate it. And, um, but it shouldn't have caused a problem because it wasn't toxic. And that fluorine would be the only thing I would expect to get because it being a, a hydrofluorocarbon. So what about, I mean, I guess this might show up in a test kit, but I mean, you've got the heat dumping coils, right? And a lot of times those are made out of copper, right? And titanium. Oh, they're titanium. Well, I mean, yeah. Even in the unit itself, where it's dumping the heat. No, that's all copper. So that we have the titanium chiller barrels are connected to copper that goes yeah. out to the air con the, the compressor itself that's outside the building. But the um, the um, freon basically travels through all of that, right? Correct. So, Correct. I don't know. Just my copper about. level was. That's the great thing about I dose copper um, oh. daily. <laughs> so you know people people can say, "What do you do? What?" Yeah, we put copper in our water every single day because um, we need to keep it at nine parts per billion because it's one of the most important aspects of photosynthesis. And the ocean is at nine parts per billion, so I say, "Why shouldn't I keep my aquarium at nine parts per billion? It's not toxic, and I can tell a difference in the algae and the um, phosphate uptake from my scrubbers." when my iodine is deficient and I'm sorry, my copper is deficient. <laughs> Where'd that come from? I'm thinking about iodine 
from earlier, but yeah, copper deficiency, your, your, the algae that grows on your turf on anybody's turf scrubber will not do the same thing as it will when your copper level is around nine, 10 parts per billion. When it gets down into the one to two parts per billion, it grows, but it doesn't remove phosphates as efficiently as what it, it would if it had the, the copper there, plus all the other minor and trace elements that are important for photosynthesis. So are you suggesting that the hobbyists dose copper? If they do ICP tests, they're crazy not to keep their copper level at nine parts per billion, in my opinion. But you got to be careful. Mark. I don't, I don't recommend that anybody go and dose copper to their aquarium unless they're doing ICP tests. I mean, yeah. copper's not something to mess around with. If you overdose it, you can have a catastrophic issue in your aquarium. If you know how to dose it, which it's simple and easy if you read instructions on the back of like the Captivate Aquaculture Copper tells you how much to put in your aquarium. If your level's at this and you want to be at this, it tells you exactly how much to put in. It'll get you right to nine parts per billion. It won't hurt your aquarium. You can even go as high as 15 parts per billion and you won't hurt your corals. Parts per billion. Fish are great. (laughs) Fish are awesome. (laughs) And my Blue Ridge Coral's blue. Oh, nice. (laughs) It's hard to do. Uh, Chris, so I, I have two... One smaller question and then a bigger question for you. But the first one is, have you heard anything about Hawaii and that ban lifting at all? Or I was told by the guy that I used to buy my fish from that he was going to be sending fish out in March. <laughs> this past <laughs> March. And I was like, cool, send me 150 yellow tangs. I want to put them in my coral systems. And he said, um, sure, not a problem. Well, the March 24th came and went and I've called him three or four times and haven't gotten a return phone call. So I'm guessing that it's a no. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. I really want to know a tank for this tank. Yeah. I, Hawaiian, I was actually in Hawaiian. I, I, it'll probably end up being from biota. I will say that, but it would be nice to have maybe, uh, maybe a rescue tang or maybe a tang from a breakdown or something like that. I think that'd be fun. I've got probably, was it? We have 46 yellow tanks. Uh, divided up amongst the um, oldest farm systems. The new farm system is missing yellow tanks. And I a thousand gallon tanks, I'd put a dozen in each one of those tanks to, just to and brighten it up a little bit. Cause all the tangs I have in there are purple tangs, Sohal tangs, you know, acantharis. There's not any pop, you know, you don't have that bright yellow fish swimming by. And I, I, I love that about my other aquariums. You know, they all have yellow tangs that you get to see starting across the tank they never stay up when you're looking at them but yeah they always- <laughs> I, I guess i have a rare fish now because i have a wild hawaiian coal tang oh yeah um, i got yeah we have about a dozen maybe it, more it's i mean it's funny how change happens slowly but you kind of you have these points in history right these reference points and you're like and like the Potter's Angel, like I think it's awesome. That oh, Biota, I love that fish. Yeah, I awesome that Biota's breeding them. But again, that was like, uh, again, I don't think wildlife should be cheap. Wild collective fish shouldn't be cheap. I'm not saying that, but like I always had Potter's Angels in my tanks, and you know they were like fifty, sixty dollar fish. Now it's a nine hundred dollar fish. It's like, dude, I can't, I can't swing that. Sorry, you know, <laughs> it's a bummer. It's a total bummer. Um, and, Listen, and not to, I mean, I, I bet it's not easy to breed those things in quantity. So, like, 
I'm not arguing about the price of a captive bred one. Like I, I, I'm just saying like, it's just sucks that I, you know, I can't go pick one up anymore. Like I used to, uh, for for what I used to pay. Right. Um, Yeah. It's just the world's changing, man. Matt Wittenrich, Poma Labs. Congratulations. The King Eye. The King Eye. I have to get one from him because I still have my popsicle. Um, the one that Jake saw that went, he went nuts over it. Uh, that, uh, was it Reef of Palooza or was it Reef Stock? I think it was Reef of Palooza. I told him I was bringing a Potter eye and he's like, no, I'm sorry, a, a Polymethys King eye. And he goes, no, you're not. And I'm like, come by my booth. And he flipped out. He's like, I can't believe you just brought that fish to here. It was one of the first ones that was coming out of Madagascar. And um, four days later, the damn thing was a popsicle. I told I told you the story. I <laughs> I, uh, I went down to South Africa for other reasons, uh, and I went in like to Ollywall Shoal to scuba dive. And um, to all you South Africans listening, like the way you guys scuba <laughs> dive, it's like you're you feel like you're in a Navy SEAL movie. Like it's like there's a dinghy, <laughs> there's like an inflatable boat on the beach. Everybody's got to push it into these giant waves, and then you're just getting beat up on the waves and then you flip backwards off the raft like you're you know on a mission and then they're like you got to get down as quick as possible because the current's going to take you out and then we're not going to find you and (laughs) and i'm like what the you know like i'm used to cattle boat diving like we call them cattle boats but there's like 30 people on a boat and there's like a bahamian guy that flips the ladder down and makes a joke about the pool being open you know (laughs) i'm used to that kind of diving and i was like what am i doing here and i go down and i had I had a sinus infection. I couldn't equalize really well. Um, didn't see a single king eye. Um, silver lining was made good friends. Went and grabbed a, a burger. A invited me to go to Mozambique, and I think I've talked about that before. Like and had like this awesome camping slash dive trip. Still felt like a Navy SEAL every time we went diving because it was just like go 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 go. Um, <laughs> and then Jake goes and he's like, yeah, I saw like twenty of them. <laughs> I went to Hollywood show and all that and I was like <laughs> but I like what an orthodox uh, reef said in our last comment of you know uh, Matt should crossbreed them with either the um, gold flake or a flag fin that would um, be pretty wicked <laughs> do, you, do you know Matt well <laughs> Well, I'm sure he's already I'm, like, you know, he's dude. probably already got a yeah. lot getting ready to settle. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's like light years ahead of us. So, uh, there was one about three years ago, Barnett, when uh, over at um, his Golden Ocean over in Madagascar, they collected a hybrid King Eye, um, uh, flag fin, which is I can't remember the Latin name, I'm not a Latin guru on fish um give me coral all day but fish i'm i'm lost with most a of the hybrid Latin names. King eye? you're not talking about the um it was a king eye flag fin hybrid i'm pretty sure oh. like i know about it's the armitage like- that's like is which one is where the gold flake hybridizes uh um yeah i know what you're talking about but this was uh, definitely a King Dude. Eye. Oh, if you got pics of that, send that over. <laughs> I have to go back through. Um, RVS Fish World, he had that. that thing posted. I think he told me it sold for like $45,000 to some course. guy over in over in Shanghai. <laughs> uh, I wish I could. Uh, there's a Reef Builders article here that I'm looking at right now. Hybrid Tiger Angel Fish makes surprise touchdown at finest aquatics. 
Um, and it looks like it's like a gold hybrid king eye. eye. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think Jake did an article. I think, yeah, I'm glad you looked that up. Man. Yeah, we. I should have known better than to just say, "We well, yeah, Jake probably did an article on that one." <laughs> I'll I'll go ahead. Jake always got this. the good info. Oh, there oh. it is. Yeah, I see there. Holy cow, that thing is cool. Yeah, I'll make yeah. sure to link to this in the in the description if you want to see it. For sure. Oh yeah, I Hybrid. won't forget that because yeah, Barnett called me because I bought the King Eye. What year was that, Remy? Uh, this was twenty twenty two. Yeah, was it, I guess year. it was only October fifth. Oh Wait. yeah, no. The uh, the right. article date is October fifth, twenty twenty two. On this, huh? When did he go to Bali? No, it was um, it was, it was October twentieth was when so Jake was, yeah. was leaving for Bali. But yeah, yeah. So I remember he did. Uh, I didn't know it was that dang. I didn't know it was that. Uh, wasn't even a year ago. Well, there was. Uh, he's got another one here. I don't think this is a Reef Builders article, but uh, he does reference the first ever Tiger uh, cross with a flag fin hybrid in 2011. Yes. So, okay, yeah, no, that was okay. Maybe it was just a year ago. Um, I don't keep up with my fish like I used to, but and that was one of the things Barnett was good at was keeping Jake informed of all the goodies that he found, and Jake was always putting an article up about a little cool and rare fish that he found um yeah yeah and it's always like you would bring up something really cool and he'd be like i wrote an article about that like six months ago (laughs) (laughs) and then you you know because i i was real bad about reading the research you and me both i never did (laughs) i would i would shoot jake a text message and i would get a i would get a link to a reporter's article yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't even respond other than that link and i'd be like you could have freaking called me or something you know now i gotta sit here and read this I don't have- <laughs> it's super easy now it's a link it's fantastic <laughs> i had to uh, think suspicularia i bought that um indo pacific corals book and i was like holy crap suspicularia is not suspicularia anymore and he's nope. like link <laughs> he's like a <laughs> link. Did it, man. it was like you know and, and, and i have to uh um, I have to correct the uh, the Goniastria. Oh, it's yeah. Paragoniastria. And I was like, I felt like such a dumbass because Jake and I went through this so many times about Paragoniastria and Goniastria. And Paragoniastria, the only thing that was switched over in the Goniastria genus was to Paragoniastria was the maize or Paragoniastria australiensis. And I completely dropped the ball on that one at Aquashella. Totally yeah. dropped the ball. Everybody but was hey. so mad. Everybody hated you. They were like, oh my gosh, you didn't say para. It was oh, <laughs> awful. <laughs> that's the thing is nobody even said anything until like weeks or months later. And I'm I like, feel like that's because there's Jake only like been... 15 people that keep that stuff. <laughs> but that's the coral problem. taxonomist that's like, you know, yelling at his computer monitor and yeah. that's about it. <laughs> I've got there's, a, there's a, a friend of mine on Instagram, Cristata Reef. He is a he. I think he's studying taxonomy in college, and so I'll I'll go to him every once in a while if I've got a an offhanded question because he's all into the coral. So uh, it's cool to have that. I have a big question for you, uh, a larger question, and maybe we'll wrap up on this because I know it'll be uh, it'll probably take us to the end here. But as a wholesaler, Chris, you got to be one step ahead of trends, I would imagine. So what are some trends that you kind of see or that you're predicting with types of coral here in the next several months? 
it's so hard to predict because it's not me that decides the trends. You know, it's it's ultimately the people marketing the corals and you know what they deem as something that's going to be uh, the new trend. Um, it's disheartening because there shouldn't be any trends. It should be about every individual coral and it shouldn't just be about what people want because it's a trend to be about what you want for your aquarium. And, you know, if it was back to the way it used to be before all these, you know, nonsense names came out that don't mean a damn thing. And when you have farmed corals like mine that have lineage and have a name and people don't even use them because they don't care. All they care about is marketing. And that's the problem with trends is they're unpredictable. Um, and if everybody went back to the just loving coral for what they are, we wouldn't have to worry about these types of trends. So I'm sorry to shoot that question down, but it's like no, a it's big, great. it's a big pet peeve of mine because I import corals and I never used to have a problem selling any type of coral. And as this name game thing has gotten worse and worse and worse over the last 16 years, corals that used to fly off the shelf, nobody even looks at them anymore. And they're absolutely gorgeous corals and they're easy corals, but nobody wants them because they're not something that they can frag up in the little boogers or genetic samples, as Jake would say, and <laughs> sell for $500. Nobody cares. Everybody has a frag tank. Show me a colony tank. Show me a mature reef tank. Most people have frag tanks. If you have a coral that's this big and this tall, it's a frag. It's not a colony. And honestly, that's, I think, where people are disconnecting from this industry and disconnecting from the beauty of the corals that Jake and I and Mark and everybody talk about we love is corals in general. It doesn't have to be a specific trend for you to want to have it in your aquarium. Go through the books and look at them. If you like it, Call your local retail store. Can you get me this Turbinaria uh, Peltata? Oh, sorry. Duncan Upsamia Peltata or Pagoda Cup Coral. I used to sell those things like hotcakes. I couldn't keep them in stock. I'd get 30 of them. I'd sell them all out. Now I get five. They still sit here for five months. They don't go anywhere. What do I do? I cut them down and I frag them out. So then I have them sitting there so long. Frags two years on this one. I said, you know what? Just leave that one sitting there. It's finally a pagoda cup. It's this big around after uh -huh. two years. But that's the beauty of the coral. I mean, you can frag them still. They're just not going to grow fast. They're not super attractive. But if you have a hobby, isn't a hobby about watching and observing and seeing how cool these animals really are, not how much money you can make off of these beautiful creatures? I mean, if people just got away from the fact that they're money, 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 money in corals and enjoy the corals, 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 corals. The industry would be so much easier. It would be less expensive and we wouldn't have to worry about availability on corals that are trends that there's only a handful of permits on them. And what does that do? That creates activities that I don't even want to talk about. When you have chalice corals that are limited in, in permits and they became this huge craze, it was really easy to get chalice corals. But there was also problems with that, in my opinion. And I stuck with the books and did it by the book. And a lot of people didn't. And unfortunately, trends only hurt this industry because they make corals that are not necessarily readily available, but are absolutely stunning 
we get 25 permits for torch corals on a permit. You know, I'm lucky and fortunate that I can get 30, 50, 100, depending on who my supplier is that's shipping me. But torch corals were so popular, I wasn't getting enough torches. I couldn't get enough because I didn't have permits for enough. How are all these torches continuing to come in? I don't want to know. But it's part of the problem is trends. Trends will destroy this industry faster than anybody can even shake a stick at it. It's just a matter of people finding about it and cracking down on on the issues. You know what's kind of funny too is trends are they're time stamps, right? They're moments <laughs> in time. And what scares me a little bit uh is you take torches. Like what when would you say torches were in there? I mean, they're still popular, but when were no, like they're when, not. Well, okay. I, I, I said the height of the, the price like, has gone down, but when do you think they peaked? It was probably the Indo band, right? They were going for stupid they, money. They peaked at the Indo band, and then when they came back in, it probably took about a year and so a what, half. So, what year is that? Um, well, about a year ago. Okay. About so a year ago was the 12 peak, and when ago. nobody, 12 months ago, they stopped selling. All right. Let me ask you this you go on Instagram, you go on tank threads on your favorite forum, you go on YouTube. How many tanks you see with mature torch corals that are taken up like a quarter of the tank? that have grown out into mature colonies. How many do you see? Yeah. Pick another trendy coral, right? Pick pick another one and a timestamp in time, maybe something that peaked three years ago. How many people have tanks where that coral is now the size of a a softball or a volleyball, you know, in their you tank? You don't see it. So what's going on with these corals? Are they <laughs> they're dying? They're fragging them. No, they're, they're fragging they're, them. They're moving them on to the next hot thing. I yeah. mean, it's here, here, here's what I see. You know, if, if if you saw what I saw on a daily basis on the wholesale side of this business, I get inquiries every single day. And I think at one point during COVID, when it was just me and Daniel at the farm, my wife was working from home and it was just me and Daniel there. We were going through all these new applications because we had corals and not many places did. We were still getting corals and a lot of importers weren't getting them because a lot were in California. They were shut down. We weren't. So everybody flocked to us and our business went through the roof. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really just disheartening to see how, I don't know, I, was, I lost my train of thought. Where, where, where were you? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, you, you my, might, my mind went in like three different directions. I can't remember which one I was talking about. My point is that we've seen trends come and go, but I've not seen mature versions of those oh. trendy corals 12 months, 24 months, three years later, like in some guy's tank. Yeah. I mean, best example is jawbreakers, I think, of the being the exception. I've seen some tanks where like the jawbreakers have taken over and it's quite a sight. It's quite beautiful. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, and there's always be like, there's one guy's going to raise his hand and be like, look, I have a, a dragon soul torch. That's now the size of a volleyball. And it's like, half my tank. And yeah, yeah. well, but the, he's, he's a grower. Like he's, uh, 
He's in the long game. Like that that I always thought that, that this hobby didn't appeal to a lot of people because it's a long game hobby. Like you put mm. these when you set up an SPS tank and you put in all those little frags, and I'm not talking about boogers. I'm talking about the way frags used to be like two inches. Inch and a half, two inches, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you still had to be really patient for about a year to two. I mean, even at a year, you're like, oh, it's starting to look like something. Yeah. But it yes. was still like there was still more rock than coral in the tank, right? And then at two years, three years. So when you saw a mature SPS tank, you were like, holy crap, right? Like it meant yes. something. Um, yes. you, to your point, you don't see that. You don't see mature tanks anymore. But the other point that bothers me is if you're buying these hot corals and I don't see you two years later, like with a big old colony of it, then what the hell's going on? Well, <laughs> yeah, That was where the- I was getting at. Where are the giant dragon soul colonies? I want to see them. I remember the point that I was trying to make. You know, with all of the inquiries that we had received, 98 plus percent, and it was 1,500 new in the SKU for us to go through all the applications. When we finally went through them all, I I rejected at least 98% of them. Maybe more than that. Because they were just hobbyists that had an aquarium that had a frag tank. Yeah. And they started up an LLC mm-hmm. and they think they're a business. And, you know, that all disappeared, you know, when the Indo Coral Band was. We didn't get those types of inquiries. Right. But when Indonesia came back in, in January of 2020, when we started bringing all these Indonesian corals, we started seeing all the little garage guys pop back up. And a lot of these places, I respect them. They want to do something. Hell, I started my business out of my garage. Okay. I got a lot of flack for that. Okay. But I turned it into something pretty decent. Um, And all the haters, they hated me for doing it out of my garage. I got a little bit of respect from them now. And I have respect for anybody that wants to start something. But what I don't like is the fact that, you know, everybody that has a an aquarium and my point is getting to your point why you don't see big corals is because everybody thinks of it as a business. So yes. if I'm getting 1500 inquiries in two months about, you know, doing business with me as a wholesaler, when they're not even a company, they're a frag chop shop in their house. They work a full-time job. They don't dedicate their full time to it. That's what's happening. People get these corals. They get to be a big frag you know, of chalice gets to be this big. Ooh, ooh, let's cut it. Let's cut it. I can make a hundred bucks on this frag over here. We can make 400 bucks off of that. Okay. I kind of get that because they want to be able to pay for their hobby. The hobby is not cheap, but at the same time, what happened to just enjoying your aquarium and watching it mature and grow into something and actually watching it become one coral at one point, because eventually if you let your corals grow out, you'll have one type of coral or two types of corals or three types of corals growing in an aquarium. It'll be mature and absolutely gorgeous. That's just not the way the industry is anymore. And I'm okay with that. But at the same time, why are we packing it so tight that the corals don't even get to grow out of the frag stage before they're killing each other? Yeah. And I think it was Richard Ross talked about having to reset his mindset on like interacting with reef keepers now and it it hit home to me because i would go on instagram or wherever and i'd see these tanks and i would always like there'd be a panic in my head like what's that guy gonna do when all those corals start growing you know (laughs) and then it was like 
oh wait no like like richard ross i think said like no he's a collector he's not a grower and that's like that is what's in right now and i'm collector and, and i'm like okay i get it like you're collecting baseball cards i i got it like i and it, it was like i had to let it go and not you know be like hey you know it's like there's a it's, cartoon of a guy jogging and the like there's a wolf watching them run and he's like human what are you running from you know and like why is he running i don't know and it's like all these like wolves are like i don't know what's what's going on you know and it was just like i'm the wolf like i'm like i don't understand what they're doing like what that that's that thing's gonna sting that thing and and then i realized like oh i'm i'm not looking at it the right way now like that and there's i'm not saying there's anything wrong like that's what excites them then they go for it but i guess i was a little more cynical in that uh the fragging argument was actually like oh yeah maybe that's what's going on like that's at least a su- in their eyes a success story right they're making right. money off the coral i was like are these corals dying are they getting rid of them when they're not hot anymore like i was having a much more negative wonder of thought of like well what's going on like where are these People come to my house and they see my Pavona cactus, which is, you know, it takes up a decent portion of my tank and I've been growing it and hacking it down and growing it forever. And everybody's like really impressed by that. And it's like, beautiful. Oh, well, well, and I, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like to somebody that's like, wow, that they, that, yeah, that took a long, those things take a while to grow that big. Um, but then you're like, well, yeah, that, but that, that's the long game. Like that's. I have a tracky. People who've listened to Reef Therapy since the beginning know this. Like, I bought this tracky online, and it showed up, and it was the size of like a button. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like a red with green. You $1, know, hundred dollars. Yeah, it was like three hundred bucks, and it showed up, and it was like, oh, this thing's tiny, right? Like, it was blowing around. I'm like, well, that thing is like this big now, you know? And it's a pride and joy thing for me. I love that yeah. thing. It's like, it's like a little pet you know i just care for it i it's uh sitting in this tank and yeah my little trackie it's like it's like my little clam that i got that was aquacultured it was a squamosa and it was the adults were sapphire blue yeah i got 200 clams in they were all squamosas from these adults and i'm going these things are turd brown most people would be like i would never buy that well I decided to keep one and it's now this big and it just turned as blue as your shirt. <laughs> and it is just stupid. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's an interesting, like what happens, what happens to these collector tanks over time? You know, cause I mean, if you're successful, if you're good at keeping coral, you're going to have a problem on your hand as these corals grow. And is the, I'm asking generally, like genuinely, like is the the plan then to move out stuff that doesn't excite you anymore and make room for like what like how does that work? I think the the exact thing that's happening here is you buy the dragon soul or whatever. I have seen a volleyball sized colony. There's a guy in town. Okay, there it's you the go. only one that yeah. it's the only one that I've seen though. And by the way, he's I think he want, he sold it to our LFS for like seventy five hundred dollars whenever <laughs> uh, whenever the Indo band started. Anyways, <laughs> side story. Uh, but what's happening yeah. is especially I, Home Wrecker comes to mind. Um, you know that Acropora was so hot. The Disney is still out there, but when you get a finger, 
when you get a when you get a branch off of that and you look at that and you're like that's 150 bucks right there if i chop it off that's why you never see big colonies of any of that stuff because it's you know to a to a hobbyist it's like oh it's a box of salt that's a you know a new light whatever that could be and you've got a, you live in a city i don't know st louis is okay, i get it too but yeah it's that that's what's happening that's why you're not seeing any big huge giant you know colonies of this stuff and i would love to see it by the way if you yeah. do have an amazing colony yeah. of disney or home wreck or any anything really just like like please well, send I, pictures I we will Chris feature you <laughs> <laughs> i had i had a colony of walt disney that was at least this big a home wrecker um a cherry bomb i don't even know the names of half the other ones oh there's an orange passion and a super orange passion hurricane ian we you know had the power outage for three days. I thought I went scot-free and the corals looked happy. And then two days later, all my mother colonies that were like this big, I still have the Walt Disney up on the shelf. Um, I still have the home wrecker up on the shelf because that home wrecker was grown from three little coral lights that one of my employees broke off with their magnet scraper because the branch was getting too close to the side and he broke the tip off and he's like, Hey, I brought this in. Uh, I figured it would just die in my tank. Let's glue it to a tile and see what happens. Well, three years later, it was this big. It was getting ready to be fragged up to be launched for Christmas. And Ian came through and, yeah. oh. oh my gosh. It's, that, that hurricane put me back years on Acroporus. I mean, at least two years on most of them because I had probably well, 62 colonies that were fragable that I could get 50 to a hundred frags out of that they're gone. So now I'm starting over with boogers again. <laughs> yeah. How's your, uh, how's your purple monster frag from uh, Keith doing? Turtle. Yeah. What is it's, the, what's the deal with that coral, man? Like I, that thing has never grown ever for anyone at a reasonable rate. Keith showed me his two-year-old calling. I'm like, that's a frag, Keith. <laughs> He's like, well, you're not doing any better with it. I'll have it a year in November. So um, it's gotten maybe a quarter inch of growth up and maybe a quarter inch of growth from the base. So it's it's growing, but... I haven't gotten it to its final resting point, which is going to be under a 400 watt HQI 65K. Iwasaki? I can't. They didn't make Iwasaki didn't make double ended 400 oh, watt. They didn't. Yeah, they were single. Yeah. yeah. So they were all singles. And unfortunately, Iwasaki stopped making bulbs. And um, what? Yes. Ushio still does, right? No. Ushio stopped too? They stopped making. Well, I just got a. Uh, Chris Wood uh, from Captivate was talking to me today, and he's like, "Man, I tried to get 14Ks from uh, Ushio, and they're sold out, oh, man. and they're not producing anymore." The end is the so. End. No, it's not. Uh, not for me. Anyhow. I got <laughs> plenty of bulbs. I have enough bulbs to last for like ten years, so I should be good to go. <laughs> and I'm all sure the, somebody all the guys else. The stockpiles. <laughs> yep, I had it a long time ago, and it was. Um, slow then but i was only using 20ks on it and you know after finding and learning that it was collected in very shallow water 65k looks it sounds to me like it's the 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 bulb of choice for that particular coral to do well and i agree keith used to grow it better when he overdrove his radiums with magnetic ballasts 
So um, I got a whole bunch of magnetic ballast on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness Tulio still makes those because he's got so many public aquariums that want um, the efficiency of the magnetic ballast to make sure that the, the ball berms properly. And um, electronic ballasts just don't do that. You know, they replaced the magnetics because they were, quote unquote, more energy efficient. But you lost life of the bulb. And I don't know. You know, just uh, green. Green's not green always. So, so is it Tim Kelly? He's over in like he was trying to kick up uh, like a, a thing in he the was Solomon's, in Solomon. right? Is that yes. still happening? Because like. I, I I should be asking him that. Like I I know uh, I, he re- he recently reached out after Jake's passing and you know said some nice things and uh, good dude. Like I a lot of respect for that guy. When I I have only personally in person interacted with him once, but you know just seems like a, such a cool dude. But like I I was curious what if you knew anything about that just because. You know, that's like there's Solomon Islands, man. Like that's such a cool place to to bring corals out of. And I thought he was building like a um, a warehouse or something there. Is he uh, called me? Ah, when did Tim call me? Maybe March, May, March, March. Yeah, it was March. It was right after reef stock. I remember because um, yeah, he was excited about it. And he's like, you know, Jake always wanted to get you involved with the Solomons. And, you know, I was kind of had my hands tied. He's like, but now it's just me. But he's like, I need help. And I said, well, I don't know if you're going to be able to ship corals to me over here in the West, in the East coast of, of, uh, of the United States. For one, I know how your flights are from the Solomon to get them into LA. And it's a nightmare. And, I know how you can get yours to me, but you have to trust me to use my broker in Australia to get them to me over here on the East Coast. And then we're still looking at at least an extra day and a half compared to, you know, what it would be to LA. But um, I need you to do some sacrificial corals. You know, you have to go collect some corals and you got to start, you got to stick them in boxes. You got to stick them in and pack them different ways. And it's unfortunate you're going to have to do this, but it's for the better of all of the corals that you're going to be exporting to me. And I will support you, but I'm not going to take a shipment from you until I know you know how to pack all the way to the, to the East coast of Florida. Cause every supplier that's ever shipped to me has to ha- had to be taught how to pack properly to get it to me. Mm. And I could care less about how tight you pack it. If you pack 10 pieces of coral in a box or you pack six pieces of coral in a box, six pieces of coral are going to arrive alive. 10 pieces arrive dead. I want to pack six. Most people and most wholesalers don't look at it that way. They would rather risk the corals and put it on the exporter and make them pay for the problem. And I think it's smart to do it the right way. And I told Kim or Tim, I said, if you do this for me, you pack um, I'll send you how I want you to pack them. You pack them up. You pack them like you'd ship them to to L.A. or no to to me for forty eight to fifty hours in the box. Drive them around in your vehicle for that amount of time. Bring them back, unpack them, and let me know how they look. Do a video of the unpack because anybody can show me what they look like. I want to see a video of the unpack so that I know that it's, it's done right. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to invest any money in 
have a bunch of dead corals because all it's going to do is make us both upset at each other. And it's mainly going to be because of dead corals. Financially, it's going to hurt both of us. And I never heard anything from him again. Hmm. So I have no idea what's going on. I, I hope. Talk I mean, hopefully, it's, yeah. What's that? I, I hope he's doing Orlando? okay. Yeah. What's that? I didn't I was, hear you. I was just saying. I I, I talked to him at Aquashella Orlando, I believe. I'm not Tim. I didn't know Ooh. Tim was at Aquashella Orlando. Who am I thinking of? I don't. Know, it was one of. It was one of Jake's. Really, I think it was Tim. I think it, maybe it was uh 21. Okay. Yeah, I don't um, remember. He's um, talking about because he was just kickstarting that up, that Solomon Islands stuff. I, I remember that. that well, he was happening. doing it with Joe Caprata. Yeah, I know Unique Maybe, uh, yeah. brought in some stuff, uh, some really cool uh, millip- Acapora Millipore from them. Obviously, some Purple Monster. Um, I'm going to be buttoning it, but I, I already have something in the works for Solomon Islands. So okay. oh. I'm just. I, I I tell you that's probably <laughs> the the couple videos that I always go back to on the Repairs yeah. channel of the Solomon Islands. Oh my gosh, just great footage, great information, amazing corals. Uh, and that was Tim with him in those videos yes. uh, that he was traveling with, and you know he's telling me stories about those trips, like how they were just sleeping in these huts, and you know like getting some leaves to, to use <laughs> batting. And I'm like, that's my kind of trip, man. I love I'm that kind of you, stuff. We've talked about this yeah. before, but I really think that there needs to be some sort of reef builders dive trip that happens yeah. to us. I wish I could go to something like that. I wish I could go to Jake's uh, trip with Vincent. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm so mad at myself for not just saying I'm doing it because it would be an awesome trip. Um, I, I definitely be going to go into the next one, which is uh, they're going to he's going to do one every single year, right around. Um, I hope the to time make it. Uh, one You're going with me next year. Just make a pact. We're not going this yeah. October. We're going next October. <laughs> <I> just, Done. <laughs> yeah, this this year was a little bit fiscally intense for me, and then I put the uh, numbers together for the airfare and everything, and I was like, you know. It, that's a tough sell to the wife and kids. I was like, uh, I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go spend like 10, 15 grand and uh, go do this thing by myself. Uh, yep. and then when I get back, we can go to Florida, you know, yep. we'll go so to Destin and rent a condo. And we'll those drive damn, those damn trees you had removed. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. You would have left the trees in. You would have been fine. Well, um, I but get- I think when the, like my, when my son's a little bit older too, like I'm just going to drag him with me and we're just going to go make an adventure of it too. That's, that's the other thing I want to do. I've been wanting to go to Indonesia with my family. So I want to go to Manadoa and Halimera and Sulawesi and, yeah. and, and Raja Ampet before it's gone. Um, but, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm hearing some weird things that really irritate me about, you know, people get caught in certain areas that are a hundred percent been protected for over a decade and they're finding, you know, fishermen, actually they're sinking their boats, which is good. Um, that is one thing about Indonesia. You mess around with their, yeah. with their, uh, <laughs> with their waters. Um, they just take out your boat and they blow it up right in front of your face and watch it sink to the, to the bottom of the ocean. Um, that's a pretty good deterrent if you ask me, but people still do. And, it just scares me because all these islands, you know, they don't need any hotels. 
that's the biggest thing that starts the downfall to every ecosystem is when they start to disrupt that little itty bitty island in the middle of the ocean that's been like that for tens of thousands of years. You know, then they go and put humans on it. And we, we humans, we, we, we want to go see the, everything and we think we can, we're not going to disrupt anything. No, we just clear cut the entire area to put that hotel. We didn't affect the ecosystem. It's still good. It's still good. You know, they got to drag sand over to your beach and all that stuff. <laughs> we're going to put levees up so the beach doesn't erode. Yeah. 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 It, you know, <laughs> um, there's this concept of generational amnesia, right? Where like you don't have, <laughs> You don't know what things were like 50 years ago. Uh, and so a slow degradation or decay is not, you know, apparent. And um, yep. one area where I have probably dived the most is the Bahamas, just because it's really convenient from Atlanta. And so before we had kids, like my wife and I went there all the time. You know, we got married yeah. there. Um, awesome. So I know I, I know the Bahamas pretty well from a diving perspective, and um, my parents lived there in the '70s, uh, before I was born, early '70s, and they bought like a book from like a scuba diver and like all this underwater photography in it, and I have that book, and uh, it's crazy when you look at the pictures because you're like, this isn't the Bahamas, like it looks insane, <laughs> and then you just realize like what things used to like. The Bahamas, the well, I don't know. Who knows now with 100-degree temperatures, water temperatures yeah. in Florida, as we're recording this, right? Like uh, the, the Florida reefs are, are doing it's really bad. badly. I can't even – who knows what's going on in the Bahamas, right? But I'm just talking about 10 years ago what the Bahamas looked like, and it didn't compare to that book, you know. Um, obviously, stating the obvious, you know, you're talking about uh, the Elkhorn, Acroporas, right? Um they were everywhere over there. Yeah, Cervicornis. That that one's kind of a weed, you know, and the hurricanes would knock it down because it's just a it's a it's a staghorn coral, right? It's a branchy. It's like the green sli the brown slimer of the the Caribbean. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just that general. Like somebody posted a picture once of like it was like a hundred elephants like cruising in a black and white photo across a plane, and some kind of photograph somebody in an airplane photographed it in the 50s and like we're used to seeing like three elephants on a plane and going oh you know and it's like well yeah but like there was a time when to, yeah. the herds were they were giant herds and yeah. it's looking through that book always reminds me of that you know and it makes you think about 50 years from now someone going to raja and diving and like they're like oh this is nice you know and they're like yeah yeah but, <laughs> yeah yeah so, you know, like you said, everything that, is like these uh, these timestamps on on life, you know, and yeah, I guess that goes for the wild world as well as, you know, the hobby. Yeah, that's a good and point. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong that they're still here, you know, but, you know, if Indonesia doesn't change, you know, as a country and the government doesn't crack down on the pollution that's going right out of Jakarta River, right into the Jakarta Bay, right into the ocean. I mean, you know, if you've ever flown into Jakarta it's it's you you don't want to look down when your plane's going down to land you just don't want to do it because it's absolutely disgusting to see 15 to 20 miles out from jakarta bay you can see the fine line of shit and crystal like turquoise blue waters and then you can see the fishermen in their boats 
right there on the edge of that line of literal shit. Wow. I mean, it's that bad. You know, the Jakarta Bay is so polluted. The, the water is brown. There's no fish living in it whatsoever. They have to go 20 miles out to get their fish. And when I'm talking to my suppliers that grew up there, just 20 years ago, they were getting corals right there, right yeah. off the, you know, right outside the bay. And the population of Indonesia has gotten so big. I don't know how many people are living in Jakarta itself now, but it's disheartening to see. And anybody that lives here in this country that does not like what we have here should be, it should be a prior or um, mandatory for them to fly to Jakarta, Indonesia and live there for one week, two weeks and then come back and tell me how much you hate this country and what you have here at this con- in this country. It is a totally different world. It's disgusting, but fascinating all at the same time. I mean, what's disgusting about it is there's no sewer systems. There's no, it's literally dumped right into the canals on the street. As you're driving down the road, you can see it coming out of the four inch pipes into the drains, right into the Jakarta river, Ugh. right out into the bay. Nothing to sanitize it, nothing to clean it up, nothing to help it. So we here in the U.S., we do a pretty doggone good job at trying to clean up human filth with especially the waste department there. But over there, they don't, they don't have anything. It is what it is. You know, the creeks aren't crystal clear. They're brown. The river, even in Bogor, which is 15 miles outside of Jakarta, when I was there, in 2010, my supplier, I was like, Hey, let's go do some fishing down here at the river. He's like, you don't want to go to that river. He's like, you don't even want to put your foot in that river. It's full of literal human waste. There's no fish, but like dirt fish, there's catfish. There's no native fish living in these rivers anymore. It's completely wiped out and extinct. And that all flows right into the Jakarta river. It's disheartening to see. uh, Sorry. I've Go ahead. Jakarta at 10.56 million in 2020 with a metro 10. population. 10.56 million. Metro population. So I'm assuming that includes and like out zero. 33.9 million people. Okay. And zero metro. waste treatment. Zero waste treatment. It's crazy. So 39 million people go to the bathroom every day and all of it goes right out into the ocean. And we aren't doing our job here in the U.S. according to people. I'm sorry, but we're the leaders in doing our best to be as clean as we can be, even though we should be doing better. Countries like that should be doing better and they should be, they should be, you know, reprimanded for something like that. I mean, come on, you know, we're going to, they're killing the largest source of oxygen on the planet, the coral reefs in Indonesia, the coral triangle. More oxygen comes from the coral triangle and all the coral reefs in the world than all the forests put together. Without those coral reefs, they call they talk about CO2 rising. Well, they keep killing it daily as the, as that gets farther and farther away from Jakarta Bay, that 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 line, you know, there's more and more death. And uh, it's not told, it's not talked about, and it's really sad to me because people that live in this country have no clue if they've lived here their entire life and have never been anywhere else they have no idea how good we really are 
Yeah. And look at our reefs. They're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing at that. It's, it's, it's really upsetting to me. But, you know, we can preach all we want about needing to do better. But these other countries should be doing better before we try to do better than what we already have. I mean, by, by all means, let's fix problems. But those other countries should be fixing the problem. So our reefs aren't in, in shambles even more than what they already are. Yeah. Well, we'll leave on a on a depressing note. Thank you for that, Chris. <laughs> nah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Come to Reefstock Chattanooga. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> I'm going. I'll be there. Nice, nice, nice. I'm excited about that actually. Chris, I, like I like I've said a million times and, and we <laughs> we definitely need to get together for sure in person, but I feel like, you know, we could just talk for hours and hours and hours for sure about coral and and we will continue to have you on cuz uh Well, just really... do it. Just do it Chattanooga. We we we're hoping to have a podcast rig by then, so we can we can do everything. And then Daytona, yeah, live we on got the spot. a couple times. Yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. You guys, uh, are, real... you guys are just like these traveling Wilburys of reef keeping, man. Like you guys are everywhere. <laughs> you gotta get. We gotta get I'll Mark be, to I'll Chattanooga. Be Chattanooga for sure. Good. But... We gotta get you to Daytona too. It's like there's Ramy, all these it's... reef conferences, and it's like there's one like every weekend, and I'm like what. <laughs> Do these people have jobs? Like, what kind of a reef keeper are you, Mark? <laughs> We're reefers. What do you expect? <laughs> you guys are crazy. We don't want a regular job. <laughs> We're a slave to the corals. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to say real quick, we, we mentioned Reefstock Chattanooga. Those tickets are available now. Uh, oh, I feel shoot. like it's gonna be it's gonna be a ton of fun because uh, it's a it's an underserved area of yes. the United States, and I'm really excited to meet a whole bunch of new hobbyists there. And I know you guys yeah. are too for sure. I'm gonna put some faces with some customers for once. It's gonna be really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely, if you if you're going if you're flying there from some far away, like I'd say maybe plot a few days to go do non-reefing stuff because there's some fun stuff to do in that town the it's, aquarium uh, uh, yeah the tennessee aquarium i think i said this like two or three podcasts ago it's one of my favorites um i think yeah, the, the only just a few years ago they started to expand their saltwater side they like built a whole new building and somebody's probably like dude that was 10 years ago but 10 years ago for me feels like last year it's thriving um but the fresh, the freshwater stuff. If you're into freshwater, if you're if you get if you nerd out on a little freshwater and like the different rivers and lakes across the globe, um, yeah, they do a really good job of that. And, That's cool. Uh, yeah, and it's just the downtown area has good restaurants. A river flows through it. You know, you can go boat cruises down the river with these cool canyon walls and. Uh, I heard there's a children's museum. So if you get your kids with you that are super young, like they can go to this crazy children's museum where they play with water and all kinds of fun stuff. So yes, super cool. Super cool. I heard there's a cave with a waterfall inside of it too. That's deep. Yeah. Yeah. Raj like posted a picture, like, you know, come to restock to see this waterfall. And it was the rock city waterfall. And I'm like, fail. There's an underground waterfall. If you're going to post a waterfall (laughs) from Chattanooga, there's an underground one. You have to take an elevator down. Yeah. He felt claustrophobic. Don't do that one. (laughs) As I I was uh, making the teaser video for Chattanooga, that was one of the clips that the tourism board allowed us to use. And the, the, the picture that he posted was like this beautiful waterfall, but then, like it's like a huge tourist area yeah on top of that is like a lookout and all the stuff you can see the waterfall from above but there's uh, some hokey stuff at rock city (laughs) Uh, but that's what makes it uh 
makes it endearing, I guess. Except for there's like a cave you go into and they've like lit it up with like different color lights and put like weird looking gnomes in the cave. <laughs> and then they they glued a bunch time. of dead coral skeletons to the ceiling yep. to look yep. like stalagmites. And you're like, as a reef keeper, you're like the horror, <laughs> you know, like all these dead <laughs> corals. Um, oh, we lost Remy. What happened to Remy? Is it still recording? Yeah, okay. it's still recording. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it says it's still recording. <laughs> see if he comes back. He's like, <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. But yeah, it's uh, that's a hokey place in an endearing way. Uh, yeah, but... I'm excited because I've, um, it's it's kind of right in between. It. What's going hey, on, back. Remy? He's back. <laughs> I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You're on mute, actually. There's a mute on you. I don't know what I clicked. I clicked on something. <laughs> you guys are still recording. We're good to go. I pissed, yeah, off, the, uh, I pissed off the cave gnomes and they, <laughs> I don't know. They booted me. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> uh, well, I'm excited for uh, Reefstock Chattanooga. Yeah. It's reefstock.show is the website for tickets. So we'll go ahead and put that in the description as well. I want to thank you guys for hanging out tonight. We appreciate it. If you have any questions for myself or Mark or Chris, go ahead and leave those in the comment section below. If you're listening to the audio only version, just make sure to find Reef Builders on socials. You can ask your questions there. We'll direct it to the correct person. Thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next one. Bye-bye, guys. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.